Good evening, my little darklings. You are in for a treat tonight. Whereas most shows, we focus on many different stories from around the world that have happened in the past week. Tonight, we have a story so interesting, so compelling, that we're centering the entire episode around this. And once you know more about our guest, you're going to want to make sure to stay tuned. Share this episode. Alert the neighbor. Shake the baby. Wake the dog up. Everybody should hear what's about to come your way right here on the Paranormal 60 News. Good evening, friends. Thank you so much for joining us here. And believe it or not, it's a live show. How do you know it's live? Well, because look at that right there. It says live if you're watching. I like to put all my cards on the table and let you know that this is a live show. And I'll be watching the questions because Chachi won't be here with us tonight. So if we could just have a moment of silence for Chachi because he has to work. His real job is making him work tonight. Can you believe that? This guy needs a break. But you know, do you know who ditched out of his duties for the day to make sure that he would not disappoint all of you? Oh, no, not the colonel. He's much too entrenched. There's only one soldier left here with me. One man to my right ready to go into battle with the paranormal, ladies and gentlemen, the paranormal detective himself, Greg Lawson. Hey, Greg. Hey, Dave. How you doing, old buddy? I'm good. It's good to have you. Just you and me tonight as hosts and anchors of the show. Just no me. other news stories. This is going to be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good reason though. Good reason. And actually it worked out really well that Chachi couldn't be here. The Colonel couldn't be oh, here. I'm telling you. Right. Because this is uh, this is going to be a fascinating show, but I've got a couple of things that I've got to make sure that we mention right off the bat. First of all, for those of you all around, I am going to be on the Jason show tomorrow. It is a uh, syndicated show in about five, six, seven, eight different states. You'll be able to tune in and check it out. I'll be talking about some famous and haunted hotspots, some of the experiences I've had while investigating. So if you're familiar with the Jason show or you follow them on social media, you can stream the show as well so you don't miss it. That is tomorrow. And then I am off. Greg, to do something I'm very excited about doing. I've been called back to high school. I'm that's going 21 great. Jump Street. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. I get to walk the hollowed halls of Lake Park East Campus in Roselle, Undercover. Illinois. Where Undercover? I went. No, no. No, I'm there as TV's Dave Schrader. I'll be talking uh, about ghosts, angels, otherworldly visitors, and the doors are open to the public. And wow. you know how much it costs to come see me do a presentation tomorrow at my old high school? probably a hundred dollars. That would be a great price, but not for the people that I love. I'm going to drop the price this one time. What do you think would be a good price for me to give all of our darklings across the United wow. States? $50. $50 would still be a steal to get a chance to, you know, bask in the glory that is yeah. TV yeah. international sensation, Dave Schrader. Oh, yeah. But no, oh, yeah. I feel I can do better than that, Greg. I oh, think really? I can go lower. Wow. 
twenty dollars. Wow, that's low. That's low. How about if I do this for the love of the game and because yeah. it's being called back into service at my high school yeah. to walk on the stage that I watched performers entertain us on, and now I yeah. get to be one of those performers. It's yeah. free. Free. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's what I'm talking about. This. Yeah, this or this gig pays. Yeah. Or as uh, we knew him when he was golfing, I will be pro bono. So like Sonny Bono, pro, pro golfing, pro. I don't, I anyway, don't understand. No, I didn't think you would, but I will be there tomorrow, Thursday night in Roselle, Illinois, Lake Park East Campus. So if you're looking it up, come on out. Seven o'clock is the beginning of the presentation. Don't be late. Come on out and let's talk weird, spooky, crazy stuff. For the spooky season. So that's going on. And then this Saturday, I'll be in Rock Island, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Wanted Rock Island YMCA Paranormal Expo. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Darknessevents.com. You'll find the link there. Find a way to join me and be a part of it. This is a little something different tonight, uh, Greg, because usually... Oh. I do this next segment on, on a classic movie that may have been forgotten, but tonight... It's time now for Upon Further Review. And the reason I'm still going with Upon Further Review is because the movie I'm going to talk about, the movie I got a chance to see and be a part of the big opening here in the Twin Cities yesterday was The Exorcist. Believer. Boom. Yeah. Wow. Now... I'm going to tell you, I was not a fan of Exorcist 2, The Heretic, and Exorcist 3, The Grab for Cash. I wasn't even <laughs> a big fan of the Exorcist TV series that came out a couple of years back. So I was, I was hesitant about this one, and I was not sure what to expect. This was going to become an actual sequel to the very first Exorcist, and it's done by the minds at Blumhouse Productions. Oh, wow. And yeah, the, the guys that helped bring back Michael Myers and bring back the Halloween franchise have stepped yes. behind the wheel of the Exorcist franchise to bring us a new trilogy of, they've said it's three new movies. And this Friday opening nationwide is the Exorcist Believer. And I went into this movie, not sure what I felt, not sure if I was excited about this, reticent about it or or how to feel and then i saw the movie let's take just a little peek don't be scared we've met before <laughs> Are you looking for Reagan? Bring her to them! What do you think evil is? I'll tell you what I think it is. We're born in this world with hope and dreams and the desire to be happy. Dad? Something's going on with my daughter. No! No! It's happening to my daughter, too. The devil has one wish. Wherever those girls went, they brought something back with them. 
to make us lose faith. I believe you can help get our daughters back. To kill it in us. And the devil never gives up. She knows who I am. Where's the other girl? What you're doing here is dangerous. People have died on both sides of possession. Come on, baby. Come back to us, okay? <laughs> if you don't make it, I don't make it. Mama. What is it, baby? I can't hear you. Baby, I'm right here. I don't want to go to hell. God, lay that trick on you. <laughs> there are two heartbeats. Is it working? They're beating in sync. What did you do? One girl lives, one girl dies. You get to choose. The Exorcist Believer is in theaters nationwide this Friday. All right, Greg, you just got to see the trailer. Initial reaction. Made me nervous. Right? Yeah, right? A little now, nervous. Hey, mom's there, right? They brought, yeah, uh, they brought mom Burstyn back. Is back. Wow. Uh, playing, I think it's Ellen McNeil, I believe is her uh, name. I'm hoping I remember that properly. The mother of Reagan. Yeah. And uh, it is really interesting the way they bring her into the story and bring different facets of possession and exorcism to the concept of what this movie is. There were some really good jump scares in this movie. And I don't yeah, think it see. was those kind of things were not jump scares, like a cat jumping out, freaking mm -hmm. you out. It was that it was so intense at points. And there are such terrifying moments that I think they did a really good job of hearkening back to the capturing the imagination of people that they did in the first exorcist movie. It's going to be hard to live up to that original shock value, but they pull out all the stops in this movie. And I think it is really, really well done. I've been surprised because I'm watching and there's all of these articles coming out. Oh, it doesn't live up to it. There's not a devil of a chance. It'll, it'll survive, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. And I'm thinking, okay, these are the critics. Uh, I, I will tell you, Judging this movie on a scale of one to five phantoms, one, it's the Babadook trash and should have been burned the minute. Hey, hey, man. Or number five being Killer Clowns from Outer Space, an amazing movie that demands. No, it requires a sequel. I'm just kidding about that. I would Bubba, put this Bubba. movie firmly at four to four and a half phantoms. Nice. Yeah. It's really well done. Good storytelling, really good acting good tension building. I think they found a good formula. I'm hoping they hold it together for the next two movies and they have me on the hook. I want to see what happens next. And I don't know what they're going to do to step it up from here. Uh, it, it, they, they leave it closed in a sense, but I feel like this is something pretty exciting, pretty cool going on. So check it out for yourself. This is, uh, this is going to be amazing. It's opening this Friday. And then let me know, talk to me in the comment section below on the video uh, here on YouTube. Let me know your thoughts of the trailer 
and let me know your thoughts about the movie once you've had a chance to see it, because I would love people to weigh in on this. I love good stories, Greg. You know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I remember when I was a kid, when the, when the first Exorcist came out and how, how hard it hit society. I mean, there were, there were right. people running out of the theater and throwing up in the theater and just doing all kinds of craziness. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, we need, we need something like that. We, we, we're so inundated with all of this, uh, in, you know, uh, indoctrinated with all of this weirdness that it's hard to really get into a story. So yeah, I, I love a good story. All right. Well, the reason I bring up loving a good story is a good reason to fold into why we're here tonight doing the paranormal 60 news in a different light. When we get a chance to go out and travel. Usually we are the ones on center stage sharing our stories, opening up about the things that we have witnessed, the cases we have examined, the history that we have researched. But when we were at Phenomicon in Utah, Vernal, Utah, a few weeks back, Greg, yeah. something really spectacular happened. It they did. flipped the script. They took us out to this remote little area for this bonfire. They gave us a chance to all eat together in, in this kind of paranormal commune sense where everybody was together, dining, having, you know, great fun together, talking. And then as the sun began to set and the sky became alive, people started to step forward to tell their own stories of the strange and supernatural. And throughout the night, there were some compelling stories, some heart-wrenching stories, some terrifying stories, but above all, one stood out, Greg. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it stood out a lot. Yeah. yeah. We had an opportunity to hear from a gentleman that kind of supersedes expectations when it comes to hearing an encounter with the strange, the things that we love so much on this show. So I want to make sure I get this right. I've got it written out, Greg. See, see how I do this? I put it on paper so that I can read it and make sure wow. that I, I don't mess up. No, that's a great idea. Yeah. That is a great idea. And prior to the show, he told me how people mess up his name all the time. And now what? I'm stressing his last name because now I'm suddenly questioning what the proper pronunciation is. I know it's not Kissel. That's his secret agent name. Castle? Cassell? Help me out here. Cassell. Cassell, that's what I thought. Yeah. Scott J. Cassell is an American explorer, underwater filmmaker, and counterterrorism operative. His documentary credits include over 35 programs for things like the Disney Channel, MTV, Spike TV, the Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, Space, the BBC, and History Channel, just to name a few. Scott has over 13,000 hours as a diver and is a United States Coast Guard qualified submersible pilot with over 900 dives in the Seamagin Sea Mobile submersible. But nothing prepared him for what he confronted on a dive, an experience so powerful that he kept it to himself for many years. And tonight, Scott is here with us to share this story on a very special edition. I feel like we should have the dun-dun-dun-dun. It's like the NBC special edition of Full House tonight as we go down <laughs> this really interesting and fascinating lane. Ladies and gentlemen, help us welcome to the show. The rest of the world knows him as Scott Cassell, but we know him as Steve Kissel, undercover agent. <laughs> Steve, that is that you? 
Hi. Hi, Scott. How are you? Well, there's a camera right here. Yeah, welcome. Okay. And yeah, thank you for getting my name right. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Now, Scott, I, I've got to tell you, you know, it's a kind of a crapshoot when you open phone lines to let people come on and tell their stories. Not everybody is the best storyteller. And and but it's important to give them a place to speak and be heard. And I was standing there watching as people milled around and started raising their hands slowly to tell their story and the way you kind of reluctantly marched up into the middle of the circle to kind of share your tale. First of all, that captivated me. And then when you launched into your life, career, and experience, I was blown away. So let's start with a brief introduction. I gave a little bit of the background on you, but I know I'm not even doing you any justice on this, Scott. Talk to us a little bit about your background with diving and uh, how many hours you really spend underwater filming for all different varieties. Well, I actually am con a little confused. I thought the reason you had me here is because you found my uh, my old English girlfriend I lived with in London on The Exorcist, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's a different story. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so I think I know why I'm here. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, I um, I get bored easy, so I've always been looking for something to keep me busy, and and um, I'm just like anybody else who just loves the ocean. I like spending as much time as possible underwater. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I must say that uh, you, you um, I think that's the Wikipedia thing that you found. And uh, that was mm -hmm. done, or I'm not sure that's the right name. I don't know. Oh, wow. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's probably about 14, 15 years old. So I actually have 15,000 hours underwater now. And I'm kind of proud of that. So now you're just bragging. <laughs> so that, that kind of suggests a lot that I'm actually very antisocial. So <laughs> apparently, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you've you pretty well covered everything except I've uh, I've done a few more shows than that. I've done a little more time underwater than that, and since that time, I've I've dove five different submersibles as a professional pilot for a lot of different people. Um, and uh, including, I even worked for OceanGate. I actually helped start them off as one of the first sub pilots to teach them how to dive subs. And um, I uh, was voted off the island shortly after that. And we see how that all worked out. So, but yeah, uh, yeah so it was, it was kind of an interesting little, since I met you guys, I learned something about that. Well, let's, but, uh, um, I'd like to know one thing real quickly before we get into this, since this is a paranormal themed show, what prior to the experience that you're going to describe to us in a few minutes, what were your thoughts on aspects of the supernatural and, and the strange, the anomalies? Uh, you know, I've spent, you know, about 45 years uh, as a submersible pilot and a commercial diver, both saturation, military, hard hat salvage. I've done a lot of different hats, uh, literally as a diver. And um, to me, everything's explainable. It's just an unknown contemporarily. Uh, you can explain it through science or through engineering, uh, through known mathematics. You can, you can pretty well determine everything that you see. And you know, you got to understand is that when I close the hatch on a lot of these different subs, I'm going so deep that I'm probably seeing something that humans haven't seen before. Hmm. I'm literally the first person in the world to have ever been there. I mean, the ancient uh, shoreline is 300 feet deeper than it is now. So if you were to remove 300 feet of the ocean, now you're back to the to the old Paleolithic shoreline. But I've gone, you know, 2,000, 1,000, just depends on the different sub that I operate, the depths mm -hmm. that I, I go to. And nobody's ever been there. So I've seen things unknown by science. I've seen, you know, 
giant fish that I can't explain. I've seen uh, jellyfish that I don't know what they were. I've seen some of the most tiniest little beautiful animals that are right up close to the acrylic that uh, I've never seen it before. And I've taken pictures of it and sent it to people I know at Scripps and Woodhold. And they're like, nope, haven't seen that either. So I've seen a lot of species unknown. So, but they are species of animals. They are animals that live here with us. So everything's explainable. It's just new. Right. It's everything's cryptozoological until it's found and then it becomes categorized as zoological, right? So the ocean really the last final frontier for us to invade on this planet. There's still so many mysteries that that live in the waters that it's, you know, I know just off the shores of Papua New Guinea, they seem to uncover, you know, 10 to, uh, or what is it, like 100 to 1500 different species of of creatures and fish every year. So yeah. it's it's amazing to think by the 21st century, we're still documenting and uncovering new mysteries. So what brought you to this dive that day, if you don't mind me asking? Well, this, this particular dive, I was, um, I, I filmed a lot of new things. I've filmed a lot of things that haven't been filmed before and I pride myself on that. I've, I'm the first in history to film a giant squid Problem is I filmed it in low resolution, so they couldn't tell exactly what it was morphologically because of the resolution. And uh, somebody else came in years later and filmed a giant squid. And then the technology came out where they could refine my footage and they uh, put, called a Linux system. And they put it through and they said, oh my God, yeah, that's definitely a 54 foot Architeuthis ducks. But by then the fanfare had already gone to somebody else, but I filmed it years before anybody else did. Um, but I've also filmed a lot of animals that you know, they're kind of mundane, but they still haven't been filmed before. And one of them was called a totuava. And uh, this this was a fish that lives in Mexico that's been hunted to extinction, um, pretty much. And uh, a very small population of them exists still in the northern Sea of Cortez in Mexico, Baja, California. And so I wanted to, I uh, mean, my buddy Dale, we went down there to uh, try to get, you know, footage of these things in situ. Because there's a man in uh, Ensenada that works at the University of Ensenada, and he actually has raised those fish in captivity, trying to reintroduce them to the wild to, you know, shore up the species before it goes extinct. So he's done wonderful things, and he still does. But uh, nobody's ever seen them in the wild, and they're huge. They they get up to three hundred pounds. They're not a small fish, and they croak. They're a they're a, a croaker. You know, they they're like a white sea bass. They actually croak like frogs underwater. So, and they live on a seamount which happens to be hydrothermally active. So uh, there's freshwater hydrothermal vents under the sea there, putting out water that's several hundred degrees. It just doesn't boil because of the pressure. Okay. Um, but it's still hot enough to pretty well end you. If you go into one of those, it'll scald you like a lobster. And so we're going down there trying to film this thing. And my our plan dive is only 250 feet. We're wearing mixed gas rebreathers. And the design is that we come to the top of this um, – seamount at 165 feet deep we anchor on it and we dale and i dropped down to that and beautiful it was relatively clear water we could almost see 15 feet and so but to me that's clear and see a cortez in the northern so we both went on down to about 200 feet deep to the edge of this cliff where the mountain the seamount is actually going down to a point where there's a rock ledge and then on the other side of that rock ledge is a mud slope that goes down to 1,600 feet deep. Well, just before we hit that ledge, 
which was the deepest that he was going to go. He was going to go left. I was going to go right. And we're just going to hopefully come across something cool. And we're in a rebreather in communications. We can hear each other. And so. Scott, have you not seen horror movies? Because the minute I'm going to go left, you're going to go right. Never works out for most. (laughs) Yeah. Don't go in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm just, I'm that guy. Wow. All right. So uh, I'm not saying I'm brave. I think another word would work for that. It rhymes with uh, Cupid. Um, so, but um, not very well. Stupid Cupid. Anyway, um, I got if, you. <laughs> anyway, um, we heard this amazing sound I've never heard anywhere underwater. And it was the sound of like, um, you ever heard a construction site where you got these giant D9 caterpillars with the big blades on it and they're pushing around rocks giant rocks bigger than people and they clunk and make the most amazing sounds and they can make the earth move you can feel the vibration with these giant machines moving around well at 200 feet deep damned if i didn't hear that down slope and i'm like that i've never heard that before something huge is happening just down slope now i'm diving on a volcano so i'm thinking hydrothermal vent activity and um i have filmed hydrothermal vents before and they're very dangerous, but I've also filmed lava flows underwater and that will kill you because with the gas explosion eruptions, the, the steam explosions can cause enough pressure to pop your lungs and ears and kill you instantly. Well, actually you drown in your own blood, but you die. Um, yeah, you know. So, he says it's uh, so cheery. Well, you know, you yeah, drown well, in your own blood. It's potentially die. hazardous. So wow. I'm thinking, okay, I, I want to do that, but I don't want him to. And Dale, he's only trained at 200 feet, so I know he won't go any deeper. So I'd go ahead and I start thinking, maybe I'll go a little deeper, but I'm not sure. Just as I'm trying to go through that thinking, I see something out of the right side of my eye because I'm going this direction, you know, swimming on this ledge of rocks. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking equal to my eyesight out of my left eye. I'm seeing this weird light. Well, I've seen bioluminescence quite a lot in my life. I know what it is instantly. And I know that usually it's a big animal coming towards you. Or it could be a whole bunch of animals like sardine, you know, a school. Whatever it is, you should look because sometimes behind sardine is a big predator that's driving them. So if you have sardine or mackerel coming right at you, look. <laughs> well, I did. It wasn't sardines at all. It was, uh, it was something I've never seen before. Now, that says a lot because, again, this isn't like it was your first dive and you were not familiar with what underwater looks like. You had been around volcanic uh, explosions and venting ports and the Kraken and every other kind of creepy ass thing. Uh, from Right. You, you, so you've seen things at this point. Yeah, I have. And this wasn't natural. This wasn't a creature. This was a flat face, one meter by one meter cube. Okay. That had a weird back illumination that I, I don't know how to describe. So I turn on, I have very expensive lights or 5,000 uh, Kelvin brightness. So they're very bright. And I have a, at the time it was the state of the art. It was called high definition. Uh, so it was a 1080p <laughs> camera, you know, so, you know, it was tremendous. And I have a wing that I have on the top of it made out of aluminum. And the reason is, is it's, it's three and a half feet across is in case a white shark gets a little bit testy, I can put that in its mouth and it, it won't go any further. So the, the camera films inside the mouth, shark chomps on it. Usually that's enough. They realize you're not edible and they leave because I've dealt with white sharks a lot. I love them. To me, it's like a Labrador retriever. I just love white sharks. 
but um, I'm not afraid of them all. I'm much more afraid on land than I am. I'm more afraid driving in a car than I am of a white shark, 16 foot. Sure thing, Cupid. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, I don't know. There's a subtle difference. I'm going to be honest with you. I put my hand inside the mouth of a, a black lab before and haven't worried about not coming back with it. Uh, now, <laughs> yeah. Explain to people, you're you're free swimming at this point. You're not in a submersible, right? No, I'm scuba diving. I'm and diving you're carrying this, this big gear with lights yeah. and well, I'm, I'm wearing fins, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm, wearing a, I'm, I'm pushing a weightless camera, but it weighs 80 pounds in air. And I have a 68-pound mixed gas rebreather on my back with Heliox on it and uh, set to a partial pressure of 0.75 uh, from the deep diving. And um, so I, I look at this thing and I'm, I'm stunned and I'm, I'm thinking that it has to be man-made and it's dangerous. I'm thinking that it's one of the things that I, I learned to deal with as a combat diver and that is it's anti-diver device. So <laughs> this is going to hurt because it's going to electric arc me to death here in a second or sonar blast me. And so I'm, I don't know what to think, but I'm, I'm on edge now. I'm, I'm fight or flight. And now, wait, explain this again. You kind of gloss over it because you're used to these terms, but an anti-diver device. Yeah, the militaries around the world, um, primarily designed in, in um, Israel and the United States, we've developed systems that you do not want to be a diver and try to go underneath a military, a Navy, um, like a nuclear aircraft carrier or a new Aegis destroyer or anything. Stay the hell away from those because there's systems that I'm not allowed to disclose to you that are underwater patrolling those things, they will kill you. So do not go underwater and try to get, you know, touch a destroyer and say, Hey, that's cool on, on Twitter and, and, and try to get away. Cause you won't get away. Um, but um, the, uh, the depth that I'm at right now, when I first see this cube is a little over 200 feet deep. And I'm thinking anti-diver devices don't go this deep. They only go to about 60 feet deep from what I know. Maybe they can go deeper. Maybe this is something new. So a lot of things just aren't adding up. And I'm starting to feel like I'm in danger now, which is un, it's kind of rare for me. I, I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's just I don't get scared very often. And I have this cold chill. But I, I put on my big boy pants and I lunge at this thing with the camera going. And my lights are reflected back in a way I've never seen before. And of course, that scares the hell out of me because my lights are kind of absorbed into it, yet reflected straight up and down, and they don't reflect off of this thing. The whole thing turns like a mirror. And so for a millisecond, I think I can see myself lunging at it. And so it, it wasn't at all normal. <laughs> and so now I'm thinking, okay, rethink. And as I lunge over it, it moves away from me at exactly the same speed as I lunge towards it. And uh, with a max gas rebreather pushing, you know, the, the camera through the water, if I huff and puff, I might be able to do one knot, maybe 1.2. But still, that's that's faster than most scuba divers because I'm used to doing it. You know, that's what I do. And this thing had no problem keeping that exact distance away from me. So now I'm starting to chase this thing down slope and I'm chasing it at a pretty good clip. Now, is and, it making um, a noise? Is it disturbing the water? Are you yeah, seeing like... It's completely anything? silent. There's okay. no cavitation. Okay. There's no sound. Still, I can hear the rumbling, grinding sounds down deeper than us. And so I start chasing this thing down. And it 
never allows me to get any closer to it. And so then I realize, okay, I've had to clear my ears six times. I know I'm at 400 feet. That's my max. And so I come to rest on the bottom, still looking at this thing, and it hasn't let me get any closer to it. So as I come to rest on the bottom, I come right on top of a hydrothermal vent and my knee is just instantaneously scalded. And so I'm, you know, you know, inst- you know, like a real smart person. I'm trying to put the flames out, slapping my my wetsuit with my wetsuit covered hand. Of course, I'm not on fire, but it feels like you are. Right. And so I'm I'm, sh- I'm I'm slapping that and I look up and it's it's still there. But I decide, OK, my my camera was facing down as I was slapping my leg. And I look up and for the first time I could see the exact shape of this thing hovering about five to six feet off the bottom. And it's a three foot by three foot by three foot cube approximately. And my lights weren't on it. So I could finally see it for what it is. And there was a black, a, a, a backwards glow coming from inside somewhere on the face of this thing. It, it kind of looked like the old apples. Remember when you turn them on the, you couldn't see any lights, but you could, you could see the face of it. You could see the cover, but you could see lights going on in the background, but you couldn't tell where they were. That's kind of what it looked like, Hmm. but it was gold. It was a gold color. And I've never seen that except in very strange, like a a TV or a computer can make that color, but a normal light source usually doesn't make that color. So, and so I got scared at that point. I just, that's it. I'm 400 feet underwater. I'm, I'm 250 miles away from towns. There's nothing here. I'm in the middle of the freaking ocean, 60 miles offshore. So I decide, okay, so I start backing up, facing it, and uh, I I lose my way. I'm realizing I'm going not straight back. I'm going on a wrong azimuth. So I can't see it now, so I turn around, I take a compass shoot, and I start going upslope, constantly looking over my shoulder, and uh, I never saw it again. But um, I try. I, I chase that thing from 200 feet down to 400 feet on a slope, probably clear, close to a tenth of a mile. For how long and, uh, a period of time would you say? I'd say almost. Uh, I'd say approximately a minute and 14 seconds, because I checked my depth gauge right before I lunged at it, and I okay. had a timer on it. So, um, so yeah, it. I never want to see it again, honestly, because. It, uh, a lot of things happened to me after I saw that. Um, I, I started challenging a lot of the things that I knew and some of the things that I've seen underwater, I'm starting to question was was in the distance, was that bioluminescence or some something else? And, you know, I've never believed in ETs or ghosts or Bigfoot. And here I am now, um, I own my own submarine and um, I'm trying to put together a opportunity to take the submarine down in another location where the people have seen something similar off the north coast of Catalina Island, California. And just, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm going to start hunting Bigfoot. I'm going to take my submarine and put it at two to 300 feet deep in the middle of the night, dangling underneath the boat and live under there for 10 hours a night, trying to find one of these things and film it because I had my camera on that thing, high def camera with state of the art lights and I couldn't get it on film. All I got was the weird reflection back. So I never got the damn thing on film. If I turned my lights off, I would have got it. But I wasn't thinking. And uh, so now I want to turn my lights off and get the shot. But I will say this, on my video, you can hear it. You can hear the rumbling, the sounds in the back. And they're just, 
eerie as hell. To this day, I still have woken up several times at night hearing those sounds. It's uh, it's unnatural sound to hear underwater. Very strange. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with our guest. We'll take some of your questions. We'll dig a little deeper into what this aftermath means to Scott, how it affected him and impacted him and his thoughts, his career, and more. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk Radio. I'm Dave Schrader, your host, along with me, Greg Lawson, and this is the Paranormal 60 News. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if Say you had an extra hour in your day. Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's better help h-e-l-p dot com slash p60 it's time to take control of your life dave's here rooting you on and if i can do this you can do this let's do this together betterhelp.com slash p60 there's a link for it on today's program guide in the shadowed realm where moonlight weaves where ghosts and ghouls find reprieve magazine emerges from the depths of known. Haunted 39 has ominously grown. Its pages whisper tales of spectral fright. Haunted houses in the dead of night. The return. A shiver crawls down your spine as you delve into the macabre line by line. Order direct from hauntedmagazineprintshop.com Available in the shops from the 5th of September. And remember kids, don't be normal, be paranormal. Hello friends, the Paranormal 60s swag shop is open. You can check it out for a whole bunch of amazing items that we are going to be carrying in the shop. Everything from cell phone covers to baseball jerseys to t-shirts, sweatshirts, water bottles, and beyond. And not only will you find an eclectic collection of the Paranormal 60 swag, you'll also find amazing swag with witches and monsters and beasties galore. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the Paranormal 60 swag shop 
Darklings.com. Show your love as a true Darkling and go get your swag right now. Again, that's the Paranormal 60 Swag Shop.com. Are you like so many others coming into abilities that you don't understand and unsure where to safely begin this journey of exploration? Well, award-winning psychic and medium Michelle Welch has the answers. Michelle Welch is the author of the award-winning book, The Magic of Connection. Stop cutting cords and learn to transform negative energy to live an empowered life. In this book, you'll learn how spirituality and intuition can help you heal your inner wounds while staying connected to the people that you love. Author Michelle Welch shows you how to work with the energies that connect all people. And you'll learn to transform and transmute negative energy in ways that support your personal spiritual journey and help you reach a more powerful and meaningful life. In her newest book, Spirits Unveiled, a fresh perspective on angels, guides, ghosts, and more, Michelle teaches you how to identify and deal with the spiritual energy around you every day. Each chapter features a specific kind of spirit and teaches you how to sense its presence, identify and connect with it, and set the boundaries you may need, all while demystifying the process and making it easy and accessible to everyone, from the beginner to the expert. You'll learn how to understand elementals, connect with an ascended master, protect against psychic attacks, astral travel, and more providing meditations, visualizations, and inspiring stories, this book helps boost your intuition and spiritual experience. Unleash the real you. Get the books, The Magic of Connection, Stop Cutting Cords and Learn to Transform Negative Energy to Live an Empowered Life, and Spirits Unveiled, a fresh perspective on angels, guides, ghosts, and more. Buy them now wherever you purchase your books or by using the link on today's program guide. Life is confusing enough. Why not make it easier with award-winning help from Michelle Welch? All right, welcome back to the show. I am your host, Dave Schrader, co-anchor this evening, Greg Lawson. And Greg, Greg, your fans are out there, man. They're paying attention. Ben Turner says, hey, Greg, never kiss your honey when your nose is funny. You may think it's funny, but it's snot. And that's worth $10 <laughs> from Ben Turner. Uh, yeah. Somebody else said uh, they uh, owe me a bottle. I'm not sure I, what that's all. Not sure what that means either. Little Sprite has dropped 75 bucks on our show, so thank you very much, Little Sprite. Awesome show tonight. Glad Greg could join you. Uh, it's always good to have him here. And the Debster throwing two bucks our way, saying Dave and crew the most handsome and funniest ever. So thank you yeah. very much for the love and support. That's right. Super stickers, super likes, super loves. All of these things are turned on. If you're watching on the YouTube, you can always go in there. And if you're watching it in a rerun, you can continue to give super likes, super thanks, super stickers, little donations that go a long way to keep the show content free and available to everyone. All right, let's get back to it, Scott. We want to talk with you because this is this is pretty amazing. Um, the the kind Thank of you. activity you have to see something that is paradigm shifting for you. And Greg, you've been a diver. You've you're a reclamation expert and have helped bring up bodies and and missing things. To hear Scott's story, tell me about the impact it had on you. First, when we heard it at Phenomicon, and then in revisiting it tonight. 
Well, you know, I'd seen him over at the hotel and, uh, and I was looking at him and I'm like, that dude is, he's got something going on over there. I don't know what he's got going on. He's some kind of sort of operator or something. I just, you know, he, he carries himself in a certain way and I just kind of went, oh, okay, I need to watch my, well, I need to watch that guy. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, when we went out to the bonfire, <laughs> the huge bonfire, um, <laughs> And he came up and he told his story, man. It, it just kind of sh- stopped everything for me. Um, and I was like, I got to talk to that guy tomorrow. I got to find him tomorrow. And I was hoping that you were you were sticking around the show or going to be around the show. Um, but I, I have so many questions ab- about that because I, I know di- different things. The, the deepest I've ever been is 150. Uh, and, uh, nitrox. And it's it, the only reason we went to 150 is because the tables say we can. And so we went and did that. Right. Um, but you know, some, something, were you wearing speed fins when you yeah. were, okay. All right. That, that makes they're, sense. They're, they're very, very long for free diving. I use those yeah. when I'm filming fish. They're, they're very good at sculling so that you can stay in position. But then if you really need to go, they're much faster than any vented fin I've ever worn. Right. And, and, and people that aren't divers listening to this story, um, I, I don't think you quite get the uh, pretty crazy uh, situation that you were in. But what, what's amazing is you're comfortable in that, and that's the environment you operate in. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was diving, I, the only thing that I ever really saw that was very strange we talked about was that the whole bottom uh, of the ocean started moving and uh, – uh, the divers I was with, I was with the pararescue unit and some Coast Guard guys, uh, and uh, we uh, promptly uh, inflated our, our buoyancy compensators to the max and opened our mouth, kicked our our heads back, and, and exhaled all the way to the surface to get That's out of there. Cause, yeah, had no idea what this thing was, uh, but it was so big. Uh, and it, and it could have been, let's say, a hundred little things, but I don't think it was. It was the the ripple was was in a in a way that it was something very very large, so I was just fascinated by what you were saying, and I also know uh, the uh, the ramifications of someone of your qual- qualifications, someone of your experience who's working for the BBC, is working for National Geographic, to even hint that you saw something like this can be a career changer. Yeah, it really can. I uh, I don't know if I should, you know, start talking about that right now. But uh, well, let's mention you know. Loki feels your pain because she, her ears <laughs> pop when she gets off the toilet, so she knows the real depth to which you guys are working on this stuff. That's a good yeah, I've had I've had uh, I've had uh, eleven ruptured eardrums in my life from oh, wow. explosions and gunfire hitting the bullets hitting around me and. Uh, being hit by a giant squid and being dragged down by a giant Humboldt squid. And yeah, I've had, I've let help. Look, I, ear popping is a very sensitive subject for me. <laughs> so I totally get it. So one time I was pulling a hook out of a, uh, a tiger shark's mouth and uh, I was trying to pull it out. It was rusted. And as I pulled hard enough, she decided that was it. I've had enough. And so she turned on her own axis and her six foot fin Cuddlefin slapped me in the head and ruptured my eardrum right through my mask. I'm like, okay, I deserve that. That was cool, but my God, that hurts. So, yeah, wow. I don't like uh, ruptured eardrums. Had, I've had mm. my share. Dear darklings around the world, fear not, for your faithful leader will never ever utter a statement like, I was pulling a hook out of a tiger shark's mouth. 
I won't even talk to people <laughs> that normally do that because that's too outdoorsy for this Ooh. guy. Uh, that is crazy. Uh, yeah. Now, Greg brought up an interesting fact. You've got this pedigree. You're looked upon and respected around the world for the work that you do and the things that you bring to your service. You've seen something. You can't necessarily say what this thing is, but you know it's not normal. And your work with the military and law enforcement and film crews, you have a, and, and anti-terrorism, you have a great handle on things that should be there. What is your, when you return, obviously you're worried about your burned leg, um, but how long does it take you to process everything that you witnessed in that moment? And how I'm long still, before you tell someone? I'm, I'm still processing it. I, I'm still looking for answers and there hasn't ever been one. And and this happened, uh, you know, sometimes I forget the date sometimes. I think it was in 2014. So it's been a long time. Uh, actually, I think it was 2004. <laughs> so wow. that's right. I just, yeah, I just came back from Iraq. So when it happened, so it was 2004. Um, so it was, it was pretty nasty. Um, uh, the problem is, is that, you know, I kept it quiet. I, I'd never even told Dale when I got on the surface and I trust Dale with my life, although he'd be happy to sell my liver. He's still my friend. Um, <laughs> so, um, but he, uh, you know, you, you just don't share things like that with people that you think might, you know, maybe accidentally let it out. So I, I really haven't told very many people at all until basically that fire um, right there in Vernal. Honestly, I, I think I've reached a point now where I, I really don't care uh, who, who thinks kind of that I might be a little bit on the, on the, on the, on the razor's edge of, of crazy because I've, uh, you know, I've seen a, I've seen things other since then, um, but nothing quite like that. But my point is, is that, you know, how you, you hear commercial pilots can't talk about seeing a UFO. They can lose their job and everything they've worked for. And becoming a commercial pilot is no small task. And to right. get qualified to fly these, that level of aircraft, sometimes it takes you 15 years of training, education and experience before you ever get behind the, the, uh, the steering uh, in the cockpit of like a 777 or something like that. It, it just doesn't happen quickly very often. So to lose that because you said you saw something, um, you know, so, well, I had a friend that was, I thought was my friend, and, and he was one of my major sponsors I used to have. And um, I leaned in one day and I said, you know, I because um, he's helped me a lot with expeditions uh, to help promote uh, the brand that he had, uh, which I'm going to let him remain anonymous. But um, when I told him that I saw this thing underwater and I'm, I'm not sure what it was. And he says in his thick European accent, well, you mean like an animal? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I think this was, he goes, man-made? Military? No. Aliens? Yeah. Well, I lost my sponsorship almost immediately. Um, in fact, I'm, I'll never forget it. I lost my sponsorship on November 11th, which is, uh, you know, a pretty important day to veterans. Um, so, you know, and they're supposed to be a veteran friendly, um, uh, you know, sponsor. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll let you go on Veterans Day because you're a nutcase. So that really hurt. And so, I yeah. again, what do you do? You stop telling people. Um, and, uh, you know, 
I kind of uh, became a little bit of a hermit, honestly, in just doing my own little projects. Uh, but the thing is, is that I've done a lot and I've seen a lot. And I'm very proud of my service in filming animals for people to see that can't get to where I can get. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of defending people that were being hurt by, by bad people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm proud of defending, you know, cultures that need it. I'm a, I've been a medic as well as a soldier. So, you know, wherever I go, I'm usually trying to help. Um, but all that goes out the window as soon as you say you saw an AFO. Um, and, uh, I saw this thing underwater. I've never seen one in the air. I mean, I, I, I kind of sort of think I did, uh, but, you know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, that was definitely a UFO. What I saw underwater was a machine that I have no idea how it was built. It was so effortless and clean and perfect moving in the water that it didn't even cause vortices. In other words, now I've filmed whales. Up, I've, I've literally had my camera on the nose of whales. And as a whale moves away very quickly, the water that's pushed aside creates a vacuum and you get pulled right, right with it. And so I was thinking as this thing was moving away from me, I was going to get spoiled and pulled into it. Nothing like that happened. It, it was almost like it wasn't displacing the water. It was displacing something other than the water because it didn't make any sound. I didn't feel any ripples. And I was, I was a matter of six, seven feet away from it the whole time much like the UFOs that people see moving at breakneck speeds with no propulsion system, it's not leaving a contrail. It's not leaving an energy signature behind it. It is just simply navigating, like it's parting atmosphere and parting moving something. in the spaces in between. Exactly. And it, it's moving in such a way where it's not displacing the molecules. It's moving in another way. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have a, clue how that could happen. But as I'm up against sharks and I'm up against Humboldt squid or I'm up against um, whales and I'm filming them close range and then something happens and they pull away, you're pulled in right in there with it. You can feel that, that envelopment of the pressures uh, with, you know, a negative pressure called Delta P. You can feel it instantly and you know, what's going on. You're familiar with it. Well, that didn't happen this time. And that simple fact has bugged me the whole time. Because how do you explain that to somebody who's, you know, like, who do I deal with in my submarine when I take people diving in my submarine? Engineers and scientists. Well, how do you say, you know, I saw a UFO once. <laughs> They're going to be like, okay, surface this boat, let me out, you're a nutcase. <laughs> you know, I don't go around saying, oh, close the door, maybe we can see another UFO. You, know? well, you should. Christina Jessup says, thank you for telling your story, Scott. There are so many people who haven't spoken out because of that exact fear. It's interesting. I know many different military people, Scott, that have encountered craft underwater and they will tell oh, me the stories. Oh yeah. Tell me the stories off the record. Um, I've had a few that have, have talked to me throughout the years in writing their story out and allowing me to read it without revealing who they are. I've had those kind of experiences with uh, people that I believe that wow. have the pedigree and are truly uh, trying to just get the story out because they know what they saw and it's still, they can't rectify it in their own life. So you're not alone. And what, what I found interesting was, especially we were saying around nuclear vessels, they've got these things that the government puts around them to protect them so that things cannot get underneath and do damage. Right. I, I recommend divers never try to approach these, these vessels. <laughs> right. Now, here's, here's something interesting. I know people that uh, were stationed on a few of these nuclear vessels. 
mm-hmm. and saw things come underneath the ship and then come up out of the water and launch into the sky. Oh no God. effect. It's, it's I didn't know that there are, you know, jellyfish dangles underneath these ships that are going to cause havoc. And it's interesting that these things, not only are they there, they're navigating in dangerous waters for our enemies and they're able to just swiftly move about and then leave the water and accelerate at a rate that can take them into the sky. So Scott, you're not alone. You're not, well, you're not fully crazy. Uh, <laughs> I got to be careful how I put that out there. Well, but thank you very much. Thank yeah, you. that is unbelievable. Well, what you know, I, I have to say, you know, you're talking about Catalina Island. Uh, when I was on Nimitz, uh, I was an air intercept. I, I did uh, air detection and tracking, and uh, on on the aircraft carrier, and we would do uh, flight operations and do fo- flight quals in what's called the box right over there. And that's where the, uh, the aircraft carriers go and all the air wings come and practice landing on the aircraft carrier. And the tracks that we would get, uh, out of Alaska and down the coast, uh, at really high speeds. And when you would normally consider it to be some sort of anomalous, uh, naturally occurring something, uh, yet they would change course and speed, which tells me that no, that is something else. We're we're getting uh, good radar on something else that's that's able to do this, uh, and it's interesting because they appear and disappear right around Catalina Island. So, well, that's yeah. that's kind of reinforces one of the reasons I want to go there because I I used to be a tourism submersible pilot on Catalina Island, mm-hmm. and um, you know. I heard stories about people seeing things up on the north end of the island, entering and exiting the water about two miles off the tip of northern Catalina Island. Well, I just happened to have a submarine. And uh, so I'm trying to organize friends and funds. Uh, you know, the Scott, most. Let's talk after the show because I know somebody that might be interested in helping. Anybody who wants to help me do this, if they don't mind being inside of a telephone booth with me for about four hours, I'll be happy to dive them because that's how small my submarine is. Let me just say real quickly, (laughs) those of you paying attention, you're going to have to step up your game. $2, $10, $75, $25, and 20 bucks are kind, but they're not getting me under the water with Scott. It's going to need to be bigger, (laughs) bigger donations. But thank you all and Bridget Connolly and Loki for uh, your donations. We appreciate that tonight. Um, no, seriously, I there is a documentary, Scott, that's online. It's called A Tear in the Sky. Please Ooh. check it out, and I will introduce you to the director and producer behind it because I think you might be interested in where they're finding activity and what they're finding. So I, I really it, would. Honestly, I'm I'm I'll tell you this, gentlemen, straight up. First of all, Greg, thank you for your service. And um Straight up, and thank you, Dave, for what you do, because because of uh, the kind people of Phenomicon and you, I felt empowered to say this in public where I never would have, I probably would still be completely quiet about it. And saying it was medicinal, it was helpful, because now I want to go look for it again, and I just want to film it. I'm not trying to capture it or do anything, I'm just trying to film it and then get whatever data that I can and then give that information away for free. I'm not after making any money on this. I just want to know that my, I am not crazy. <laughs> I know and, I am. And I support that Scott. So when you capture it, you can give it to me and you don't have to make any money off it. I'll do that. <laughs> Depends how cool it is. If I, if I have two little aliens dangling right outside the, That's true. Yeah. They're mooning, if they're mooning the, the front port, I, you know, I, 
Yeah. Well, I saw that. You can, but, uh, you can name one Steve and the other one Kissel. So that really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my passwords. Let me uh, um, let's see what we've got here. Christina says, "Do you think we are seeing more UFOs, or are people more comfortable speaking about it now?" What do you think about that, Scott? Oh, you know, I'm more comfortable talking about it now, where I never would have ten years ago. So I think that she's onto something there. I think that the, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna preach, but a, a lot of people, including myself, completely believe in God and. I mean, when you see things that I've seen, when you see two whales mating, when you see a 40-foot shark, and when you see a giant, a 54-foot giant squid, if you don't think there's a God creating all of this, there's something you need to really look inside yourself because the majesty of the sea is off the charts. And by mm -hmm. the way, I think squid are actually from transpermia. I think they're aliens, by the mm -hmm. way. That, that's just because the DNA doesn't match anything else, and they look so crazy. But Same with, uh, that, isn't that what they're finding with some of the jellyfish, too, that they don't seem like they belong The DNA there. doesn't match anything else. Yeah. It doesn't match anything else. And come on, if you think about a squid, I mean, it's the Earth's resident alien species. They got problem-solving intelligence. They have 1.2 million chromatophores. They can change their color in a 64th of a second. Um, and the the chromatophores are wired directly to the brain. They think their color. It doesn't go to a central nervous system. Therefore, it's closer in operation as a language than it is, you know, a, a simple reaction. Um, and I've filmed them doing 11 different color patterns directly to behavior. So they communicate and tell each other what to do. I filmed it. So they're incredible. So, I love that. And, and as somebody who said that you didn't necessarily believe in Bigfoot and for people out there that are saying we would see something, you have no concept of how eloquent the animal world is. Isn't it the cuttlefish that can go from a full color to completely transparent? Pretty much they can, they, when they're young, they can be transparent. Absolutely. And it's a, uh, it's, it's right. adorable to watch young. There's actually something called a J squid, which is semi-transparent except for its organelles. And you can't see the animal except for the eye and a few little things inside of it, unless it changes its color. Then, Oh my God, there's a squid there. Um, but if which you tell us, maybe there is something to cryptids and how they can adapt and be there one second and not there. By the way, that's a quick little lead in folks. We're going to be talking to documentarians about a documentary that I watched while we were at Phenomicon about Bigfoot, uh, and some unbelievably compelling footage that, wow, I, I can't wait for you guys to see it. I believe it comes out I, later this month, the document. You know what I'm talking about. I, I yeah. saw that with you. I was in there wow. with you, and my, yeah. I, I had trouble closing my mouth. I was just jaw-dropping. Yeah, it was. It, it's exciting. So that's going to be coming up a little bit later on this month. Um, and there's you know, a part I'm, of that story in there that made me almost collapse onto the ground because I'll be darned if there's not a relationship <laughs> between what I've seen and what they said they saw. And uh, I'll let you guys watch the movie and you can, you can tell me about what that is. It's extraordinary, but hell if I know what I saw, but maybe I saw Bigfoot at 400 feet deep underwater in the Sea of Cortez. Who knows? Mark G says, think about it. If aliens did fall to earth, where would they most likely land? But water. And well, I know the part, I know the part you're talking about, Scott, from the documentary and yeah, hearing that, hearing your story, two separate, it was really powerful because it does make you think, uh, like you, I don't want to give too much away, but, um, something you've seen, something they talk about in this, yes. 
becomes more compelling than is that a dimensional arc or portal and it's moving effortlessly because it doesn't truly exist in a physical form and yeah. it can open up to what is inside like uh, you know people are joking saying the borg cubes or you know yeah. the, the doctor who's tardis that it's bigger on the inside there very well could be something very real to this mm -hmm. uh and, and we can't just shut it out because it sounds too sci-fi everything yeah. sounded sci-fi remember the the concept of star trek and flipping open a communicator and now most of the original cell phone creators will tell you they built that, the flip phone, with the concept of having the Star Trek communicator. Mm -hmm. All of the things that were once sci-fi are reality at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dr. Bones' uh, bed that you lay on, he can tell you everything that's going on. I think we call that an MRI. Mm -hmm. uh, rather extraordinary, yeah. you're right. But when I was underwater with that thing, and I finally, right after I got burned and I realized looking at it without the lights... I've never been so afraid, and that's a word I don't say very often. Um, and it, it wigged me out to the point where it was primeval. And I was way outclassed. This, this thing was in, you could just feel the immense power. It wasn't like it was a ghost wisping out. And that's where I decided, okay, I'm going to take a few breaths and I'm going to center right there. And it's a, process we call vented C. It's where you're looking for oxygen toxicity. Am I, is my mix making me see this? I quickly went through that. It takes about three seconds and absolutely not. I was completely, completely clear. And um, the fact that I remembered to do the uh, mental health check, the, the physical check at 400 feet deep on my knees next to a thermal vent that just burned me while looking at this cube uh, is a pretty good indicator that I was, I was clear-minded. Still in your but, faculties. Yeah. Was there any long-term physical effect to seeing and experiencing this? And if there is, are you willing to talk about it? Yeah, I, I am. Now that I'm not trying to, you know, pass any physicals to work for the BBC dive units and stuff like this. <laughs> right. but I have a, um, my lungs fill up with fluid every night at a certain time and I have a cough and I have skin sores all over my body and it happened the same night that I saw that thing. And I've had it every night, every day since. So heals that won't burn for a year, I'm sorry, uh, sores that won't heal for up to a year. And I've been to doctors with the VA and doctors with military and doctors with Kaiser and nobody can figure out what it is. They say that because I was, I was wounded in Iraq um, as a civilian when I went back as a dumbass. Um, and um you know, because if I'd gotten wounded in the military, I would have gotten a Purple Heart and, and full pension the rest of my life. But no, I had to go as a contractor. Um, but um, so I, I took a piece of metal in my back that was went through some other people before it went into me. Wow. And um, it, uh, I have doctors saying, well, it's probably some weird infection you have and it's causing a neurological reaction because it went into my spine and paralyzed my left leg a little bit. And um, they're saying that because the, the tip of this sharp object went into my near my spinal column, that the infection set into the spinal column and now it tracks out to nerves throughout my body and erupts from the nerves on the skin. That's what they told me. I said, what's it called? Well, I don't know. <laughs> so it hasn't been all that helpful. All I good. do know. It's called divermyalgia. And I just, <laughs> I just uh, created that name. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've got you have to, a ghost there, Scott. I just heard a voice, and none of our lips move. <laughs> probably one of those cube things. <laughs> As you say this with the gold uh, UFO looking, yeah, UFO above your head. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I just, it makes me it looks like I have ideas. 
Like, hey, that guy's got ideas. Well, but, Scott, uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I know we asked you for an hour. It's a little over, which we want to do on Wednesdays anyway. But is there any uh, is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners, viewers around the world about this experience and its ultimate effect on you and if they see something? Yeah, I have three quick things I'd like to say is that I do want to put together an, organiz- uh, an expedition set to look underwater for to see if we can film something. And I have a lot of ideas, but starting off with the fact I have a submarine, um, two person sub, she can go to 500 feet and stay there all day. And so I'm looking for opportunities to do that uh, repetitiously to see what we can see underwater. But do and, you have and- a submarine, Scott? That's what we really want to know. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Chick magnet. Yes, yeah, so. I know. Right. Um, but uh, the other thing is, is that I want to encourage people that have seen something that they that, that they really have seen something that has been bothering them. Uh, uh, tell people first that you can trust that are outside your family, like maybe somebody named uh, Dave Schrader. You know, tell them first. Um, and then, uh, yeah, allow allow other people outside of your, your circle to give you an evaluation first. People that have people that are in this industry. And the third thing I want to say is a sincere thank you to the people that are into the paranormal. And I say this because this was the first time that um, my, my beautiful partner and I went to Phenomicon and we met the most beautiful hearted people and I'm used to going to scientist conventions, diving conventions, and all this stuff, giving talks at film conventions and stuff when I come back with good footage. And uh, there's a lot of dicks in the world. But I didn't mean – I didn't mean – I didn't see one jerk. I mean, I'm you know. Not <laughs> but I was really impressed with the people at Phenomicon. And yeah. uh, if you've seen something, I urge you to go to Phenomicon and, and talk to people there that can share your similar interests because you may not want to tell people that are around you. I lost a $50,000 a year income and I mentioned it one time and mm-hmm. I've lost others since then. So you got to be careful who you tell. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that like me, if you believe in God, then why would God only create life on one planet? Of course, the world is ready for aliens. Amen. Anybody would say if there's life on this if, if this place was incredibly crafted, why can't more be crafted? I think the guys like oh, we have an autistic God that's just going to work on this one little thing and, and excel at that. And then we'll grow, you know, because, you know, people with all these different things can do great things. Let's start them off small. No, no, this is this is bigger than all of us. So, of course, there's there's something else out there. I've seen it. And it took it took one of these things give me damn near a bloody nose and a lifetime of sores on my skin to believe it. But I'll tell you for a fact, they're there. Well, Scott, we hope you uh, begin a healing on that. And honestly, when we're together at one of these conferences, I'm going to put you in touch with a few healers um, that work with people I think might help you uh, relieve some of the issues you're going through. I know that sounds strange. Um but we'll we'll put you in contact with a few people. Uh, I'm going to ask you, Scott, when we sign off, stay in the green room with uh, Greg and I, um, yes. because this is the part where we take off shirts and bump chests at the end of the show. <laughs> no, uh, but I want to talk to you a little it's bit more off there. And we will have you back in the future. Scott, thank you so much for your bravery and coming forward and sharing this intense story with us. Well, thank you both for your service to mankind, helping people through a difficult situation like you did me. Uh, You both are in my heart, and I appreciate you both very much. 
Thank you. And Greg, thank you for getting back on me to make sure we got Scott on the show. I knew we wanted to do this and this worked out so perfectly. I couldn't have asked for a better timing on this. So thank you. And to Chachi and the Colonel, we love you boys. Stay safe out there. We will be back next week with brand new episodes of the best in Paranormal Talk Radio. I'm Dave Schrader. That's Greg Lawson. And we are the Paranormal 60 News. Oh